Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for the ad space, Kevin Estella. And today for the advertisements, I just want to bring up two companies. Uh, you just got to remember two, Black Rifle Coffee and Six Hour. Um, Black Rifle Coffee, if you use our code CRAFT15, you'll get 15% off of your order over at their website. Uh, now this in- excludes, not includes, excludes EX. New releases, uh, bundles, ready to drink stuff. It's a one-time use code for one-time purchase over um, over there at Black Rifle Coffee. Now, guys, we love Black Rifle Coffee. We drink it every single day. Just Black, uh, Blackbeard's Revenge, Flying Elk, you name it. They got some good stuff brewing over there in Salt Lake City. And uh, we constantly have it over here at Fieldcraft Survival. So please go over and support our good friends, Black Rifle Coffee Company. That is www.blackriflecoffee.com. And you can find them on all the socials, Instagram, YouTube. I think they're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter for sure. And uh, check out some of the stuff that they're doing. They're doing some pretty interesting projects. Mike Lover's even jumping into a rally car thanks to the folks over at Black Rifle Coffee. So check them out. The other sponsor for this podcast is Sig Sauer. Now, my background on Six Hour, I grew up in Connecticut. I was only two hours away, two and a half hours away from uh, the Six Hour Academy. Uh, I've taken probably close to, I think, just under 20 courses. I think I'm at 19 uh, courses at Six Hour. Uh, advanced carbine, cold weather carbine, close quarter carbine, low light carbine, uh, long range pistol, pistol 102.5 all the way through 104, bullets on vehicles. Um, you know, precision rifle, reach for a thousand guys, six hour does some really, really good training. They're in my opinion, the gold standard of training in this country. And, you know, I'll tell you that a lot of the guys here carry six hour pistols. Uh, I happen to be a SIG 320 armorer. Um, I'll tell you guys that they're, they've got some groundbreaking stuff. Um, definitely, definitely enjoy heading back to new England, visiting family, taking a trip up there from time to time, walking through the pro shop, seeing all the cool stuff that's out there. And I'll tell you, like the thing lately that's really been catching my eye with SIG, I like their rifle optics that are synced up to their range finders. And, you know, it's amazing technology. You can take a total novice and, and make them a crack shot at great distance. So please check them out. Uh, big shout out over there to my buddies, Dylan Kennison, Chris Cavallero, a bunch of the instructors. I haven't, uh, you know, forgotten about you guys. I'll get to calling you out next time. So please check them out. Sixhour.com. That's S-I-G-S-A-U-E-R.com. Hi guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. This is Amber L. And today I am talking with Gary Questenberry. Do I say it right? That's perfect. Oh, okay. I'm surprised that you got it right on the first try. Well, we, we Cajuns sometimes add inflections where we shouldn't. So I just wanted to make sure that I've been saying it right all this time. You're spot on. So Gary and I started talking about a year ago um, on social yeah. media and what Gary has. Gary has a very long history that gives him so much accreditation. And I'll let him tell you about that. But what Gary's done is he's written a series of books. And the third part in the series is going to be releasing next month. April 1st. Yeah. April 1st. Um, and as a mom, this series of books initially spoke to me. And that's how I found him. I found his books. Um, I invested in them. I read them. And I was blown away by the similar similarities between the way you thought and the way you raised your own children and how you authored these books. 
and how I have, I was taught and how I raised my children, which I felt like was atypical. And there were so many things I never spoke about to other people about just even the little games that I would play with my children. It it seemed like a very irregular form of parenting, but you validated me so much in that. Um, And I don't know if you remember the first time I got on social media and I was like, you guys, I just felt, I, I found somebody who gets me and who, who just understands and has created this amazing resource. And, um, and parents have, or still parents constantly reach out to me and they say, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for recommending Gary's books. Like this was a pivotal step, like a pivotal next step in how we approached parenting and preparedness and safety. So that's good to hear. I really appreciate it. And that that video that you put up on Instagram, I believe it was, was uh, you know, I reached out and I was like, because you know, up to that point, my books were just out there in the world, you know, and people were finding them here and there. But you know, once you got a hold of it and you put that out there, that book in particular really kind of blew up. And people started asking a lot more questions and I started getting a lot more followers. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, this social media things may be valuable. <laughs> so, so, so thank you so much for drawing attention to, to the series. Yeah, you're so welcome. Um, I, I was happy to do it, but I think that speaks to the, the curiosity that exists in parents and that discord that they feel between knowing that they need to do something and wanting to do something and wanting to be proactive, but not really sure how to do that. And, and your book is the solution. It is, it's absolutely a solution because it's action-based. It's not just theoretical and it's not just stories. You, it's very action-based. There's action steps included in it. And I think you did such a great job of compartmentalizing and organizing every book in your series. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And all that stems from the time I spent working at the uh, Federal Air Marshal Service Training Academy in Atlantic City, developing curriculum and things like that. So the book series really wasn't even supposed to be a book series in the beginning. It was going to be a situational awareness class that I put together for a group of instructors in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, I was still working as a federal air marshal at the time and I'm sitting on the plane and I'm just making notes in a notebook, you know, about this class that I want to teach. And the more I looked at it and the more I kind of fleshed it out, the more it started looking like a table of contents. And uh, there was uh, there, there was a person sitting beside of me when he was like, are you writing a book? And I was like, no, but that's a fantastic idea. So, so, you know, I, I get to the point where I would, yeah, I would take my notes into the hotel room at night when we'd get to wherever we were going. And I'd just start fleshing out those bullet points that I had in that, you know, that kind of curriculum outline. And, and, you know, in the federal air marshal service, we use the EDIP method of teaching and it's explain, demonstrate, imitate, and practice. Right. So I thought that that was a fantastic way to introduce these concepts of situational awareness to people in general. And then it also translated well into the second book for parents of young children. So I just kind of I stuck with that format and it's it's served me very well up to this point. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you initially wrote it as a class, but it makes a lot of sense. And I've had people, I have, I have had so many moms and women, especially the ones that show up at our women's uh, personal security courses who will reference your book and say, well, you know, in, in um, spotting danger before it spots your children, it's like, it's a point <laughs> of reference for them, you know, just like the gift of fear is a point of re- reference for a lot of people. Um, but I, multiple times I have heard people say it's like a class. And so that makes a lot of sense that you formatted it initially as a class, but right. then it transpired into it. But I mean, are you giving him like royalties from this or something? <laughs> Fran, you should be. Yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm really blessed to have the friends that I've had up to this point and starting to get, you know, all this kind of recognition with the book series and everything. And it's it's opened up a lot of avenues for me to get back into what I really loved, which is why I went to the academy in the first place was to, to teach other people, because there's nothing to me more gratifying than taking the experiences that I've had, being able to pass some of that along to other people, whether it's situational awareness or a firearms class or, you know, just a self-defense to class, self-defense class in general. And, and seeing those aha moments when people kind of connect the dots and put things together and realize how, you know, it's not it's not just being able to conceal the carry and exercise your rights as an American. And that's all fine. But, you know, without that situational awareness piece, it's it's window dressing. You know, so you need you need to have that in place. And I felt like this was a good place to start, you know, the situational awareness just because it ties into not just self-defense. But then I started thinking about how it ties in, you know, to parenting and, you know, raising teenagers. And then the fourth book in the series that I'm writing now is going to be kind of my wheelhouse as a federal air marshal was the travel piece. So people going on business trips and vacations and, you know, with their family or alone and how to keep themselves secure in that situation as well. So when you look at the whole series as a whole, when it's all finished and out there, you know, you go from, you know, a book for adults about the basics of situational awareness. And then you've got a book for parents with children ages four to 12 to start teaching them that those baseline skills that they need to develop situational awareness. And then with this third book, which you were kind enough to provide the forward for, uh, you know, when you start talking about teenagers, now, now there's going to be a little bit of friction there because they're wanting to go one way. You're wanting them to go another way. And it's really like herding cats you know, when you've got several teenagers in the house at one time. Yeah. So, you know, but, you know, there's a conversation to be had there. And I think that as long as your kids understand where you're coming from and what the purpose of this is, and that by by implementing this into their lifestyle, you're more comfortable giving them the freedom that they need to explore their individuality, then that's an easier it's an easier conversation. It's an easier process. Yeah, and I, I speak to people too about, you know, as a mom, there's still that very nurturing, tender part of me that wants to just create decent human beings. And of course, you know, being the mama bear too, I want them to be safe and I want them to be conscientious. But for me, um, you know, my dad and, and my mom too, but they taught us to be very aware and very independent right. people, you know, boys and girls. And so, I saw the relationship of that between how I viewed and how I um, saw humanity and how I related to humanity as well, because I was more aware and I was more conscious of body language and behavior. And I could analyze that and I could relate it to um, maybe what someone was going through. And it just made me understand people better. You know, it made me more empathetic and that in and of itself can make you more aware, right? Whether you realize it or not, you're avoiding really tricky scenarios. Um, And I've seen that in my children. I've seen how it's not just about protecting them. It's not just about their safety. Um, You know, they'll come up to me on a play date if we're we're at the park or if we're at um, like a little homeschool day. And there's so many times that they'll tell me, Um, you know, such and such, you know, they seem a little off today. Like, how do you think I should talk to them? You know, they seem a little sad, like what questions should I ask them? And so there's that component too. It's just, it's making them such well-rounded human beings because their eyes are up. They can see they're paying attention to the world around them. Um, And it makes them safe. You know, I mean, my, 
my oldest, when she was five years old, I remember tackled her little brother in a parking lot because I was juggling bags and a a baby carrier. And he had, he was just learning to toddle. Um, and he was out of the baby carrier and she saw a car coming through the parking lot. And so she, she full on tackled him to the ground to stop him running in front of the car. But like what young child is paying attention and can relate the cause and effect scenario that quickly, you know? You know, the one thing, and, you know, I'm sure you've seen this a million times. I used to see it all the time, especially in transiting through airports and stuff is parents, you know, we get this thing. I talk about it in my books called focus lock, you know, and, and most of the time it's this, you know, focus lock, people get sucked into their cell phones or their electronics. But a lot of times, especially with kids and teenagers, that focus lock is internal. You know, they're more worried about what's going on, you know, in their life as opposed to what's happening outside their, their own bodies. So, you know, if if you can teach a child when they're when they're young about baseline behaviors and you do this, you don't set a four year old down and say, let's talk about situational awareness. That's not how that works. Right. So, you know, you start playing these little games like you and I spoke about before and and they're they're learning those little skills that they need to avoid that focus lock. And, and everybody, everything has a baseline, not just places, but people. And it's fantastic to hear that your children understand that. And when they're with their friends, you know, each individual friend has their own baseline behavior. So they're loud and energetic or they're introverted and maybe a little bit shy. And when something rises above that baseline, it draws their attention. It signals to them that something's wrong and, and they act on that. And that can be something physical, you know, like you just talked about pushing a child out from in front of a car or something just as simple as starting a conversation with a friend because you realize that something's off. The the trick when it comes to younger children and hopefully that carries on into their teenage years is to avoid, you know, that that focus lock. And my point I was making in the beginning, I used to see it all the time is, you know, parents, we have an obligation to make sure that we're monitoring our own children's baseline. And when we see them turning inward, that we need to we need to flip that around. So, you know, I've seen I've, I've seen parents when they get frustrated with their children in airports and stuff, just stick them in front of an iPad and put headphones on them, you know, and, and that's the babysitter now. Yeah. So as opposed to just engaging with them and, and playing these little games and stuff that I outline in the book. So I think, I think oh, it's so important. simple. And so it's like, tell me three things you see right now that are interesting, or let's, let's find somebody and observe them and make up a story about where we think they're coming from and where they're going. And it's, it's not just about, I mean, their safety is the, is the critical component, right. And raising them. And, and you outline that your book is so scalable and it starts with the children and it builds into the teens, which are completely, they're same. There's some same similarities, right? There's the baselines, but there it's completely different nomenclatures. Like the, the methodology of learning is called the pedagogy, right? And I've written a blog post for Fieldcraft about this, about the pedagogy of preparedness and pedagogies or schools of thought around a learning concept come with its own nomenclature. And children speak a different language and teens speak a different language. And so sure. that the, the critical part of your books and why it's it was so important for you to do them separately, to do all three separately was because the language is different and you address that and you've lived it. Right. Yeah. You know, we've, 
And, and, you know, I make, cause I make some confessions in this third book that, you know, a, a lot of the, a lot of the techniques and stuff that I teach in these books. Yeah. I was an instructor at the federal air marshal Academy and I understand the preparedness piece of it. I understand the self-defense and the, you know, personal safety aspect, but my wife was responsible for, for a lot of this, you know, when I was focus locked on work or something like that, she was the one pointing things out. So, you know, it's important that, you know, we, we raised three kids together and she did a lot of the heavy lifting with that. And now, you know, and, and I took over the aspects of, of safety and things like that. I tell the story in my first book about how someone tried to take my children out of school. That wasn't me. You know, and and I don't know how that would have played out had things not turned differently or, you know, fortunately, they turned out the way they did. But, you know, I like to think that we raised our children in a way where they know how to react when something like that happens. And now all three of my kids, they're adults. My youngest just turned 23 and they're all three in the military. You know, so now they're out there learning their own lessons about preparedness and situational awareness and how that not only affects them, but the people to their left and right. And, you know, as a community. You know, whether it be military or your community around where you live, that's what's important is that you can, you know, avoid that internal focus lock or the external focus lock on the things that draw your attention away from what's important and just work to keep everyone safe within that environment. Well, I mean, I love that you that you can validate your wife and the role she played. But I think you are also included important concepts in there about what your role still was within that in how you were encouraging and edifying her and how you were kind of that back end support for her too. And I think that's so important for people to see is even if you don't have the capacity to have the direct involvement or that, um, that, that constant influence over children because of your current life circumstances and the way you work and your hours and so many different nuances, you still have a role to play in some capacity and it's leaning into that role. That's the most important. Um, Absolutely. You know, and seeing it as a whole, like seeing the framework as as being a team. Right. And that, that's what's important is the teamwork aspect of it, especially within a family. And, you know, I focus a lot on that in the fourth book when it comes to traveling. So, you know, the, the book series in general, I call it the heads up series. And the reason I call it the heads up series is because every time I teach a class, inevitably, I will get the question, like, what can I do right now? you know, to, to help me be safer and to change the way, you know, I portray myself in public so that I'm not targeted by some predator. And the answer to that question is always the same. Just get your head up, mm-hmm. you know, just take your head out of your cell phone, pay attention to what's going on around you. Now, it's a lot more complicated and complex than that. Obviously, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but by doing that, one, you change the way you move in your environment. You change the way you're perceived into a predator that makes you look confident. It makes you look assertive and it makes you look like the type of person who would possibly, you know, raise an alarm should you be approached. And at the end of the day, predators, no matter what their end goal may be, they don't want to get hurt and they don't want to get caught. Right. Yeah. So if you look like the type of person that would either hurt them or get them caught, they're going to stay away from you. And that's you know, do not be opportunistic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're super opportunistic. So, and you know, and I break all that down in the books about the different types of predators, what their motivations are. But regardless right. of that, you know, the end result for the victim is always the same. You know, the stress and trauma that comes along with that, the feelings of, you know, was this my fault? Did I somehow do something wrong? You know, if you know, it's 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 heartbreaking, and I've seen a lot of it in my career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I wrote these books is to try to give the people you know, in my life, the tools that they need 
you know, to, to, to do that, to have the confidence that they need to move through their environment, you know, looking like someone who would be more of a hard target. And that's at the end of the day, what's going to keep you safe. Yeah. And I I think what people need to understand too, is the value in a training lifestyle and what that looks like. That doesn't have to be no matter what stage of life you're in, because I'm speaking a lot of times to the demographic of mothers who are in the throes of motherhood, who feel like this concept of training that they see online is unrealistic for them in their life. Like I can't go to these tactical courses regularly, but how do I make myself safe? And how do I make myself unopportunistic and, and train in order to protect my children? And obviously at Fieldcraft training is paramount for us. That's what we do. And right. we have our, our women's courses with, we have the fundamental training of mindset, you know, with the personal security and understanding what fear looks like in your body. Um, we have a, a, an existing and a developing relationship with SIG now, and they take training very seriously. I mean, they have a well-reputable academy where that's, you know, a huge part of their company and their operation is the value of training. And so we see that, that lens of training, but we forget about that foundational lens of understanding how you're even approaching these topics with your family and training can look like reading a book. Sure. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, like I said earlier, eat it, you know, um, explain, demonstrate, imitate, and practice. So at the end of each chapter in my book, I put a practical exercise in there. One, I put something in there that's kind of, I, I don't like to use fear as a tactic for teaching people, right? And I, ta- I and I, I warn against that to parents. Don't use fear as a tactic when you're talking to your children about things like that. So, you know, I try to put a story in there where situational awareness is being exercised and how it turned out in a positive way, not just these horror stories about how everything went wrong because this person wasn't paying attention. You know, you could, you could write a whole book on that, but that's not the approach I want to take. So, but after that, you know, after you've got this positive example of how situational awareness saved someone's life, whether it be, you know, a mother in a mall or a kid who, who saved someone from choking, you know, at the end of each chapter, I also put in a practical exercise that you can walk outside right now. The next time you're in the grocery store or out with your children or whatever, and you can play these little games and you can do these little exercises. And each one builds upon the one before to make you more of a hard target. Because, you know, I talk about in the first book when predators in a split second, they're sizing you up. Yeah. You know, like Ted Bundy once said, he could spot his next victim by the tilt of her head. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just takes them a split second to to one, you know, kind of get their general perception of who you are and what you're about. And then you add on top of that, that, like observable value, things that you're carrying on your person, whether it be a nice watch, an expensive purse or a backpack. that looks like it's got maybe a laptop in it. You know, these are things that make you more enticing, uh, you know, the risk that you pose. And the defenses that it looks like you already have in place. Are you with a group? Are you walking a dog? Things like these are all things that they consider. And I break all that down in my books so that you can, you know, when you walk out and you're going somewhere, you can take a look at yourself and be like, how would I be perceived from the perspective of a predator? Mm-hmm. And that's a hard switch for some people to flip, you know, yeah. to put themselves in that mindset. So I, I feel it's important, you know, to, to understand that aspect of things so that you know what they're looking for and you can better identify the things in yourself and your children that need to be corrected. Well, and here's the thing about kids and, and it's important that you're not teaching from fear. Right. And I, you can, I'm sure you will completely agree because you raise children, but they hear and they see, and they know that the world is dangerous. Avoiding 
the conversation does nothing. It does not empower them. It does not make them less anxious about the world around them. You know, even with this whole, the, the whole Ukraine and Russia conflict happening right now, they're hearing things. They're, they're making their own biases. If you're not having the conversations with them, they will create a narrative that may not be true. And it may potentiate more fear and anxiety. It most likely will. And so having the conversations with them about the realities of the world in a developmentally um, appropriate way, right? Sure. Um, Asking them, letting them have feedback from a, from a young age, children have opinions. I mean, from the moment they can talk, they have an opinion and people will be surprised at what the children will tell them. What are their fears? Most of them are unrealistic, but you don't tell them they're unrealistic. You don't tell them, Oh, that's silly. That's not going to happen. That doesn't solve the problem. You give them the solutions and you give them the skill sets. You give them the tools to negate those fears, but you have to approach them first. You have to be willing to have the conversation and you have to be willing to be educated enough yourself about what that looks like in their little minds, in their bodies, in the world and how to offset that. And it's most of the time, a lot more simple than people think, but what you're doing is creating the conduit for that conversation to flow and that relationship to develop. And I saw, that's what I saw was the link between the Um, spotting danger before it spots your children and spotting danger before it spots your teens is that established conduit that allowed for the respect in the relationship and the conversation to carry on into young adulthood where the opinions are a lot heavier. And oftentimes the respect can be a lot more difficult, but when you've proven that you have created boundaries and barriers and a safety net around them in a world that is um, ever changing and unpredictable, that that value, whether you realize it or not, is significant enough that it will carry into the hard-headed years of, of the teenagers. And that's what you portrayed was the simplicity of just establishing that relationship. And if people are listening to this and they have teens and they didn't, they feel like, God, I really failed. It's never too late, right? Right. It's never too late. Take your head up. You know, and attention. That's what they want from you anyway. <laughs> Well, you know, we talk about teaching fear and that everybody wants that. They just want to be understood. And if we take it back to the second book, Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Kids, you know, that that monster under their bed or in their closet is just as real and as scary to them as, you know, your fear of getting attacked in a parking lot or so, you know what I mean? Whatever adult, you know, am I going to be able to pay my bills next month? These fears that we have. And a lot of times as adults, you know, we can let our fears overpower us and minimize the fears of our children. So we got to be careful not to do that. We got to take their fears seriously. And then we have to help them work through it and give them a little bit of control as we move along. You know, so, you know, I tell the story in uh, in, in that book, Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Kids, about how my daughters, they both slept in the same bedroom. And they were terrified when they go to bed at night and they would do these little stalling techniques. I'm sure you've dealt with this before yourself. They become dehydrated philosophers, right? Isn't that the joke? (laughs) Right. That's so funny. So, you know, tell me a story. And then after you tell a story, then it's sing me a song. And then, you know, then you tuck them in and you turn the lights out. And 10 minutes later, they're in your room, you know, like, hey, I can, you know, I can't sleep. So, 
you know, at the end of the day, you got to kind of figure out what the root cause of that is. And it's that fear of whatever it may be. So you talk to them about it. The communication piece is huge. And if you can establish that early on, it's a lot easier to have that conversation when they're a teenager and their fears become, you know, more in line with the fears that we have as adults. Well, and, and you're, you're teaching them not to focus a lot, too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if you can start giving them control a little bit. So, you know, I, I talk about in the book how, you know, me and my wife handled that. Like, OK, here's what we're going to do. You know, and you do it in phases and it may take weeks. It may take months. But eventually they were able to tuck themselves in at night and sleep in their beds all night. And we didn't have to, you know, spend all night trying to, you know, coerce them into, into staying where we put them. Maybe you should and, write a book on that. That should be your fifth book because I could use it. <laughs> just, just techniques to get your kids to go to sleep. <laughs> in their own rooms. That would be great. Right. You know, and then it got to the point where, you know, I decided I was going to scare them one night <laughs> and I'm hiding in their closet after the, they, they were determined determined that they were going to stay up and watch the movie, The Shining with me and my wife. Oh no! So I'm like, okay, fine. You can stay up and watch it. Well, they were terrified by the end of it. Now the Shining is not, it's a terrifying movie, but it's not very graphically violent. You know, one person gets killed in the whole thing, but, uh, justification <laughs> he's having over here for this. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so, so that night I'm like, I hid in their closet and when they got tucked themselves into bed, their beds were on either side of the room from each other. And I waited for them to get settled in. And then I start like growling and clawing at the door. Every parent does it. You want to, you know, it's just, maybe it's sadistic of me. I don't know, but it was fun. And, and right when I think they're at their most terrified, I jump out of the closet, but instead of these two scared little girls, you know, cuddled up in a corner, what I was faced with, was my oldest, they both pitched in. They had the mattresses in the floor. They had built a hasty barricade. And my oldest daughter has my youngest daughter behind her. And she has her airsoft pistol in a perfect thumbs forward, two-handed grip, you know, modified isosceles stance pointed right at my chest. Like, come at me, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> I a proud daddy moment, you know, and I realized that, okay, we went from kids that couldn't put themselves to bed to kids that are willing to fight that monster in the closet. Right. You know, that's when I realized I'm like, okay, so, so this is working. But that's such a fun moment too, to show them what, what true fear versus, versus, um, manufactured fear does in the body. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, one of the points that I always try to make with people when I'm teaching these classes is, you know, fear is natural. And I taught that to my kids. It's okay to be afraid. Fear is natural. I've felt it many times in my adult life, but what you want to avoid is panic. Now, panic is a trap. And it's unfortunately, it's a trap that you set yourself, you know, so without the without the communication and without the training and without these little exercises that you do with your children, instead of, you know, over you can help them to overcome their fear. But the end goal is to help them avoid panic should they be faced with a violent situation. And if they can avoid panic and work their way through it, then, you know, they can come out safe on the other end. And that's as parents is what we want. And people will criticize doing trainings with children. I've had so many people criticize my trainings with my children, my drills, you know, in public where I'll use their code word and we practice what we do. And they say that I will, I'm going to develop, you know, paranoid children who are going to need therapy. Listen, we should probably all be in therapy. Let's be honest, but um, it's not the reality. And it's not at all. If it's the concept of hormesis, the controlled stress inoculation, where you are giving them 
us, you're, you're letting them do dangerous things carefully, right? Isn't that what um, Jordan Peterson says? Do dangerous things carefully. Right. You're creating stressful situations that they have to navigate through in a controlled environment. And you're teaching them what that response looks like in their body because it's different for all of us. It's primitive. Right. It's uncontrollable. It's something that the amygdala does for us as a survival method. It's just part of neuroscience. And they have to understand what that looks like in their body in order to utilize it to their advantage. Because if not, sure. you know, the panic can happen and panic is a luxury that we can't afford. And so do, using these, these drills to, to um, have that effect of hormesis where they have that, they get those feelings, even the, the physiological feelings. And they're like, oh, wow. Like I could only see the lane in front of me or the aisle in front of me that we were supposed to be right, running on or my fingers got kind of tingly, you know, and explaining to them why that happens. Like that's all there for your survival. That's great. Like that's real fear and fear is meant to protect you. And so you felt a threat was present. And so your body was doing what it needed to do to protect and save you. And so we're, we're just teaching them how to mold and how to cultivate a safer relationship with that understanding of their own body through those drills and those trainings. Um, that's important. It creates leaders, you know, I mean, yeah. I loved your story about your daughter. Were you in um, Idaho when she like you're teaching them communication when she told the state trooper like, oh, she, like, yeah, we were coming back from Idaho. Okay. Yeah, and we were coming back from my brother in law's house in Idaho and uh, we were living in Las Vegas at the time. And it was the middle of the night. The kids were asleep in the back or so I thought my wife's asleep in the passenger side and I'm doing about 105 miles an hour through the desert. I don't know where this dude came from, but the blue lights hit me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to go. You know, I'm getting arrested. <laughs> this is going to be a big, big ticket. Right. So but, you know, I'm carrying my gun because I'm working as a federal air marshal. And I've been pulled over before. And I always, you know, first thing most cops ask is, do you have anything in the car that could hurt me? Sir, I'm carrying my service weapon. I work for the federal air marshal service. My creds are right here if you'd like to see them. Nine times out of ten, you know, there's that professional courtesy. And you go about your way with a warning to slow down. Well, my youngest daughter had been with me maybe twice and that had happened in her lifetime. And most of the time she was so small I never even thought that she would remember this or it would ever occur to her, mm -hmm. but she knew in her mind, she put together the fact that, okay, daddy carries a gun and that gets him out of tickets. <laughs> so that that's the, that's the logical conclusion that she came to. So unbeknownst to me, you know, the, the cop, I see him walking up with this flashlight because it's dark. I've got the window down, the interior lights on, the engines off, both hands are 10 and two with my fingers up, you know, so they can see what with my hands. And he comes up, shines his light. He's like, sir, do you know how fast you were going? And my youngest daughter, who I thought was asleep, started screaming in the back. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. So, so this dude goes straight Barney Fife on me, you know, trying to get out. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we had to, there was a lot of communication going on really fast trying to iron this out. You know, I didn't kidnap this family. These are my children. And, uh, you know, we, we had a good laugh after everybody's adrenaline kind of faded out and we, right. you know, calmed the situation down. But at the end of it, the guy looked back in the back and he told my daughter, he's like, honey, next time you let your daddy tell the guy, you know, the guy that pulled you over, he's got a gun. And uh, that was, that was a, a lesson well learned. So it, it it's funny too, because, you know, like I mentioned in the book, now she's a linguist in the Navy, right? Oh, so yeah. She's a communications, she's kind of a communications expert. And her, her communication almost got me shot in the desert in Las Vegas. Right. 
I love it. Um, it reminds me of my youngest. And so I, I've noticed the value in having the other children that I've raised in that manner to also be there to help raise her. Because whether you uh, want to admit it or not, your older children are definitely helping raise the younger children. There's and, a big, uh, big influence. Yeah. And so she's very comfortable with all things preparedness. But we went through this phase where um, in teaching them to be leaders, you teach them communication is everything. Communication is key. I would say that over and over again. Like even when there's big feelings and there's temper tantrums, communication is key. Like let's let's get to the bottom of this. Let's talk about this. You know, we don't have to pitch a fit. Let's solve this. And so she decided in her own little mind that she was going to communicate everything to everyone. And for some reason, we had this this like short window where she would tell everyone at a store, like the the clerk, you know, my mom has a gun. My mom has a gun. And so me and the older children were trying to coach her through like, okay, we like not everybody needs to know. So um, they had a secret. Not communication is key, but maybe just selective communication. So. It was about a year ago, we were going through the airport. And before we got there, I was like, okay, I have to have this conversation with her. So I'm like, okay, sweetheart, we're not, look, you see this case, mom's putting her gun in here. We're checking it in when we bring our bag. And we're not going to tell anybody that mom has a gun because that would be a lie. Cause I don't, it's, it's checked in. And this is just not a place where we want to tell people that mom has a gun. She's like, okay. Right. So we yeah. get to PSA and we're, we're in going through security and we're to, you know, taking off the backpacks, putting them um through the scanner and she tells the the agent my mom does not have a gun my mom does not have a gun she just went the opposite way (laughs) i was like all right everybody uh get comfortable seated right here because mom's about to get a full body pat down for a while and thank you for that sweetheart that was not what so So it's just they take it so seriously you know and they're they're capable but Sure. And, you know, you mentioned that communication piece and that becomes so much more important the older they get, you know, because they they, when your children are teens, they want to start exploring their individuality. Mm -hmm. They know what you've taught them and and they know kind of what you want them, what direction you want them to go in. But they're going to push those boundaries, you know, so that communication piece is important. But it's also important to realize that you can't always you can't always mix communication and emotion. So, you know, when you're Kids are a teen. One of these days you may get that phone call, you know, in the middle of the night. Hey, you know, your daughter's here. She was underage drinking. I'm not going to say if that ever happened to me or not. I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, you go pick them up and you avoid the communication piece for a little bit because emotions are running super high and you don't want to say something out of hand or something that may tear them down, you know, emotionally. And, you know, you wait until cooler heads can prevail and then you start that conversation. But that communication piece is so important. And just understanding that they're going to make those mistakes. You know, I made those mistakes when I was a kid. So it's really easy for us to for a lot of parents to go with the do as I say and not as I do route when it comes to parenting. And I don't agree with that at all. You know, my kids are really quick to call me on it. but You did it. (laughs) So, you know, it's a. you know, the communication, I'd say if there was one element in that third book that you take out of it, you know, it's it's respect and accountability for each other. You know, whether it's coming from the adult or whether it's coming from the teenager, you're not always going to agree. Matter of fact, most of the time you're not going to agree on things, but understanding where the other person comes from and why they're doing what they're doing is important. Now, if you can take the aspects of situational awareness that I teach in the books and say, OK, listen, I understand why you're doing this. 
and what it means to you, but this is how it could affect your safety. And when it starts to affect your safety, that's when I'm going to start reinstituting my parental oversight and life's going to get a little tougher for you, you know, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. And it wasn't even easy to write that book because there's so much stuff that changes and there's so many things like, like technology moves at a pace faster than I can possibly keep up with. I could barely log on to this zoom meeting, (laughs) but you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the overall, the overarching concepts of the situational awareness stay the same. You know, what changes is maybe the directions that the predators may try to approach your child from. So yeah. it's important for us as parents to try to stay on top of that the best we can. And right. most of what I learned about stuff like that came from my children. You know, so I learned a lot from them. So don't just shut them down and say what you're doing is wrong. You know, talk to them about why they're doing what they're doing, how it works, and yeah. try to learn as much about it as you can. That's, yeah, that's, that's my been, advice. That's been a huge thing for me, um, especially over this last year. My oldest is nine now, so asserting a lot more independence. And what I found is um, telling her not to do something. Um, it didn't feel it didn't sit right with me because I felt like there I wasn't helping her with solutions. So so what I've done is I've tried to transition that language from instead of telling her not to do something to give options on alternative ways to handle something or to do something. So instead of like, don't throw the book down like that, say, you know, can we put the book down a little, this is like such a terrible example, but can we put put the book down, you know, a little more gently next time? Or is there a different way we can put the book down? Like involving her in the conversation, instead of just creating like a roadblock, giving her a fork in the road, you know, like there's a different way to do something. um, And I'm not going to I'm not going to just impede what you did and declare it to be wrong. I'm just going to say, maybe there's an alternate way to go about this. And the response is so different from her, you know, versus right. like just being shut down immediately. Like she's yeah, open and willing to. And and I've noticed too, that if there's something frustrating her that I frustrating her that I didn't pick up on initially, my, that what I said to her is not closed ended. It was open ended. And so for her, it was an invitation to expand and she feels safer and she yeah. feels like she can have a conversation with me in that moment. And so I've, I've noticed instead of me saying, stop doing something, I, I offer an alternative. And then she'll say like, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I'm like, Oh, 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 we just opened up the door for conversation. Okay. Yeah. It's a good thing. <laughs> but it's because I didn't just put a roadblock there for her. Um, right. And I, I mean, I told you so many times when I was reading that book, your, your teen book, I was like, at first it was terrifying for me because I just realized like what a sacred and easy space I'm in with young children and how much control I have and how that trend, that transition is going to happen like in the blink of an eye and everything changes. And it was terrifying at first, but now it's almost, it's just so humbling and exciting to think about being able to be the one who is doing the work, you know, we, as the adults doing the work to be insightful enough and be healthy enough to give them a place where they can grow and thrive and be safe and to be the person that gets to nurture them through what an important season, because they're the future of the world. Right. And so, and, and everybody's on a well-worn path right now. And so it's really important for those of us who are doing it differently to be diligent in that, because we have to have leaders. We have to have children who understand autonomy and what that looks like and what they owe the world and what they don't owe the world, you know, like even yeah, my seven-year-old, yeah. seven if he feels uncomfortable and we're in public and he feels like somebody's not making him feel real 
real safe or real comfortable. He's not feeling like that person is a person that he really wants to be in the presence of. And he, he expresses that to me. I will tell him, okay, we'll move away from this. We'll move away from this area, but look that person in the eye, let him know you're here. You're allowed yeah, yeah, to be in this room too. Like you can show up. You can still have yeah. fear. Your fear can be at the table, but you're allowed to show up too. And he he is so, such an assertive child and, and he's going to be a leader because of that, because he knows and understands his fear, but he still knows that autonomy exists and that he's allowed to still show up in a room and he can look somebody that makes him scared directly in the eye. Yeah. And, and that's an important thing for, for kids to learn is how to do that. Because like we talked about earlier, even with adults, you know, that changes the perception that people have of who you are, you know, what you're about. So even for a child, you know, if, if, if your child is the type of child that looks like they'll start kicking and screaming and raising an alarm, you know, then, then that's the kind of child that a predator would want to stay away from. Right. And, you know, the fact that the fact that you give them the tools they need and teach them about that fear and what it is they're feeling, you know, we used to tell students at the Academy all the time that you know, you're, it's easy for people to sit down and talk about what they would do. But your body won't go where your mind hasn't been. So you need to put your children in these situations, like you said, you know, danger situations safely, I think is how you worded it, but or carefully. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's important to do that. And it's hard sometimes as a parent to to let your child get into a situation that it's going to be hard for them to get out of. You're there, you know, to pull them out when they need it. But especially with teens, they're going to push those boundaries and what they're looking for. They're looking for those life experiences because a lot of parents, that's why they don't want their children doing certain things. Well, you don't know anything about this. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You know, you, you know, trust me because I'm the one that's been there, Mm -hmm. but you're just kind of forcing them in that direction because they want that life experience too. If you had, why can't they have it? Mm -hmm. So the communication piece is so important when it comes to that. And then being able to understand what the boundaries are. One of the things I talk about in the book, and I think it's important is, is, you know, we set our children down and I came from, you know, the federal air marshal service. And I had a few years that I worked at the Academy, but one of the things that you learn when you're teaching firearms, because I was a firearms instructor is, you know, the four cardinal rules of firearm safety. Right. And then you've got the left and right limits on the range. Okay, all these different things. And I tried to kind of incorporate that in the way I raised my children. So there were certain rules that we set in our house that were the cardinal rules. You know, these rules will not be broken because it deals specifically with safety, not only your safety, but the safety of everybody else that's with you. Right. So there were certain things that couldn't be broken. And then we set the left and right limits. You know, you're allowed to do this up to this point and you're allowed to do that up to this point. And if we ever catch you exceeding those limits, then that's when we reassert ourselves as parents and pull you back in. But that's going to change with every family, you know, what you're comfortable with and what limitations you're going to set on your children or what you're going to let them get away with or how far you'll let them go into a situation before you before you reassert yourself. Um, You know, and just having those rules in place and them understanding what they were. You know, that was important to them because they understood where I was coming from. And I'm not the type. Okay, I'm lying to you. I am the type of parent to overreact. (laughs) My wife is the one, you know, who would would be like, all right, let's think about this and stuff like where, you know, but it's important. And I even confess it in the book 
that a lot of the stuff I talk about is in hindsight. I made some mistakes as a parent. And if I could teach somebody how to get around some of those roadblocks that I set up myself, then great. You know, but it's all about the situational awareness piece and how that ties into their personal safety and communicating with them as a parent about what's important, what's not important, what can be overlooked and what can't. Yeah. And I, for so many of the families that I speak to, they're, you know, maybe they have shot guns, they know how to shoot guns, but situational awareness is a whole new concept for them. But like you said in the beginning, and like we teach, it's fundamental. It's fundamental because if you can get out of a dangerous situation before it escalates to the point of you having to use a firearm or any type of self-defense weapon, that's the optimal solution. Right. Avoiding. Absolutely. Avoidance. Avoidance is the one way to keep yourself safe 100% of the time. And that's all dependent on distance, right? So I may not have the distance that I need to avoid a situation. And if it's a little bit closer, maybe I can escape it because there's a difference between escape and avoidance. And then if it's too close to me now, I'm going to have to rely on either my de-escalation skills through communication, or it's going to be a confrontation. And, you know, your, your children need to understand those pieces. And when they're little, that situational awareness is so much more important because they need that space and distance to, to get to an adult and to raise an alarm and to let somebody know that something's not right. So, you know, the more, and I don't care, you know, what a person believes in terms of, you know, their second amendment, right. Or if they carry a gun or if they don't, maybe you've got your kid, you know, wrestling in high school or going to some strip mall karate classes you know, none of that really matters unless you're teaching that situational awareness piece, because that's what, you know, helps you without the situational awareness piece. Like I said earlier, it's all just window dressing. You know, you're always fighting from a position of disadvantage if someone catches you off guard. So that's why when I wrote these books, I wrote them from that perspective, you know, not necessarily from the perspective of a guy who carries a gun every day, but from the perspective of a parent or a husband who just wants to keep themselves safe. I didn't write it with a lot of military or you know, law enforcement you know, vocabulary in it. I wanted to make sure that this was written for people you know, that could just take it and understand it no matter what walk of life they come from and implement it in their daily lives. That's, that, that was the most important part to me when I wrote these. And, and, and not everybody can carry like you're, you're dealing with legalities. You're dealing with people in different countries. I have people constantly that message me from other countries sure. that want to know what can I do? Um, you can read Gary's book and you can implement <laughs> situational awareness because that's the foundation anyway. You know, our, our firearms and our personal protection devices, whatever that may be, can yeah. become a sort of complacency for us. And, and we have to be able to have that foundation of situational awareness because not just for our own safety and security because of the places that we go where we can't necessarily always be ready um, to right. protect ourselves with something other than our mind and our eyes and our senses, you know, but also my 13 year old's not going to be walking around with a SIG P365 strapped to her waist. Like, right, yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't know, maybe yeah. the world could change a lot by that point, but, <laughs> But that's just not the reality of her life. And I'm not always going to be where she's at. And so if that's the only thing I'm focusing on, I'm doing a disservice to myself, to my children and to my family. 
Absolutely. It, it's a lifestyle and it has to be very multifaceted and situational awareness is at the very center and at the very core of that and understanding their mind, understanding their body, understanding their responses and how they evaluate and see the world around them. And that is, that's the greatest tool for success we can give our kids. You know, it truly, truly is. Yeah, it all boils down to teaching them how to understand baselines. You know, we, we mentioned it earlier, you know, the baseline for a specific area. You know, you walk into a grocery store, you kind of understand how people are going to be acting, how they're going to be dressed, you know, what kind of vibe you're going to get when you walk into that place. And then people, individuals have baselines. Mm-hmm. Now, situational awareness, the nuts and bolts of it stay the same no matter where in the world you find yourself. What changes is that baseline piece. So baseline behaviors, you know, in a supermarket here in America is much different than, you know, the baseline behaviors in an open air market in Jerusalem. You know what I mean? It, the baseline changes, but those physical and physiological pre-incident indicators are what stay the same. And that's what you have to train yourself and your children to look out for those things that, that indicate danger and then giving them the steps necessary and the tools they need to understand, you know, what steps they should take in order to keep themselves safe. So that baseline behavior is, is where it all starts. And what I love too, is that the secondary benefit from that is that as you're teaching them about the patterns of the world and the deviations of the patterns, you're, they're also learning to appreciate the beauty in the patterns of the world. And so. And the difference that people have and it makes you a more empathetic person you know the more you understand those baselines and you know there's 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 a lot of benefit to to learning this and and you know just like you i get negative comments sometimes like you know that you're going to make children afraid by teaching them these these things my my children never grew up afraid right you know my, my if my children grew up afraid they weren't they wouldn't be where they are right now you know they're serving you know, they've been on deployments and they're doing something, you know, outside of themselves. You know, they're, they're selfless individuals, but they understand what real danger looks like and how to address it. And yes, they had to be afraid at certain stages in their life to understand that. But, you know, you talked earlier and you mentioned something about, you know, your kids ending up in therapy. Somebody saying that your kids are going to end up in therapy. Who's more likely to end up in therapy? The kid that understands their fears and how to address them? Or the kids whose parents were just disassociated with them and put them in front of the iPad and put the headphones on them and didn't teach them anything about how the world works and what it looks like. It's a scary place. You know, it can be. But like you said, once you understand that fear, it becomes a much more beautiful place as well. The whole world is going to spend their the entire lifehood of your child's life giving them conflict and giving them a contrast to what they need to truly believe. And so it's up to us to instill that confidence in them. We're the only ones that will do it, you know, that initial belief in themselves. And, and that's what's going to translate into the leaders and the brave little men and women that we need in this world. And so it takes, it takes living a life that looks a little um, atypical, a little different than the mainstream. And that's okay. Uh, yeah, but, you know, you say atypical, but you look at life 100 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? If they saw us right now, they, this would be atypical. What a lot of people consider to be normal would be atypical. You know, so it's uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in the country, you know, in the Blue Ridge Mountains here in Virginia. And once I retired, this is exactly where I came back to, because I want once I start having grandchildren, I want them to have these experiences. 
that I had to understand the outdoors, to understand, you know, some of the dangers that they may face in life and give them the, 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 the resources that they need to be self-sufficient and independent and strong and, you know, understand that they're going to be afraid, but, you know, that's okay. It's that panic piece that we need to avoid. And I think that, you know, through these books and just through the way we raise our children, that that's the tools that we're equipping them with. And like you said, those are the children that are going to be the leaders one day, hopefully, you know, they will. uh, Absolutely. It's just, it's just the natural because, because when everything, everything goes to crap, you know, around us, those are the people that everyone looks toward, right? Not the people that are panicking like their hair's on fire, but the people that are assessing the situation and making decisions and giving orders and saying, listen, this is what we need to do. You know, those are that's where the true leadership comes out. And as parents, we can start instilling those those you know facets, and those aspects of their personality at a very early age if we approach it correctly. And you can't be impatient. You know, you there, there's going to be setbacks and there's going to be problems and you're going to have to kind of, you know, readjust because, you know, every plan is just a point from which to deviate. Right. So it's uh, but I, I think I think what I've outlined in the books is a fairly decent plan, you yeah. know, in terms of teaching your kids about fear and about situational awareness and how to address it. And, you know, if you know uh, the reaction that you put out online what you read the second book was exactly what I'm looking for, you know, and just that, you know, that, that really, if it was just you, right. If it was just you that had reacted that way to my book, I could have put everything aside and been like, all right, I've done my job, you know? So it's, uh, and it's something that I hope continues the, the, the series, I've got a four book contract with YMAA publications. And once I write the travel book, you know, I think that's going to be it on the situational awareness piece, but we'll see what happens next. Is it international travel as well? Yeah, I'm covering all of it. So just travel in general, you know, once from 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 leaving your home and making sure that everything is kind of situated there, because not to get too deep into it, you know, before I even finish writing the book. But if you're like me, I can barely get out of the driveway without worrying about, you know, did I lock the back door? Did I set the alarm? Is the coffee pot still on? You know, those those type things, those those things are focus locks. And if you worry about them too much, then you're not focused on what you should be focused on once you're away from your home. 100%. So, you know, I, I talk a lot about that, like how to secure your home effectively. You know, the things I, I've got this thing with threes. I don't know if it's OCD or what, but I break all my books down into three phases. And, you know, what you do at home to secure your house is what the four is going to be in the fourth book. And then what you do in route, whether it's air travel or if you're going by road or train or whatever, and then what you do at your destination to make sure that you're secure, whether that's domestic or international. So, you know, that's, that's how I broke all the books down. I'm kind of sticking with it. It's worked so far and yeah. everybody seems to enjoy it and everybody seems to take a lot out of it. And I get a lot of compliments on how I use the little lessons and the key points at the end to kind of refresh everybody's Absolutely. memory. And, and it's a, uh, now, more, way, way more positive feedback than negative. And I feel like the negative feedback I get from it are just from people that don't understand how fear works in the first place. Right. Or how situational awareness really plays into addressing that and helping you stay safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of people looking forward to the this third book, The Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Teens that aren't even parents, but they are a lot of no. them are teachers. They're young adults who are yeah. teachers to teenagers. And they're like, I want to read this book because... I feel like my job is so significant right now, trying to be a positive impact for these children who just really don't have sure. any role models. 
um, and, and they want to understand them. And so I think this book is going to be an incredible resource for people who, you know, children are a different ball game, but, but teenagers are. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, they're uh they're an experience all to their own. But, you know, that's one thing I'd like to make clear is that these books, you know, the second book and the third book, Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Kids, Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Teens. These aren't books for parents. You know, these are books for any adult that that has a child in their life, you know, whether it's a teacher or a nurse or, you know, just, you know, some someone who's just around children that needs to have that, like you said, like that positive impact in their life. So I, I recommend them to anyone who's you know, around children or teens and want to make that positive influence. Absolutely. I've, I've even had people who um, are unmarried and have no children yet. And they have read the book because they see their friends in the throes of young motherhood. And they're like, I feel like I don't understand them because they're in such a different season of life, but they're so overwhelmed with motherhood. So I figured, you know, my way to help them was reading this book and then sitting down and having coffee with them and kind of breaking it down and digesting the information for them. And I thought like, I've heard that feedback multiple times. And I thought that was such a sweet and sincere um, desire to be, to still be part of that team and that community that we talked about, like in their own way, they don't have children. They're not raising these children, but they're like, let me somehow edify and encourage this mom because I feel like maybe she doesn't have time to sit down and, and that makes me happy to hear that because it's all one big tribe, you know, it's all one big tribe. So, you know, the more you know, whether you have kids or not about how that whole thing works and how you can make a, you know, make a difference in someone else's life. I think that that's important. And it does, you know, and and it's it's also a network, you know, so I I may not. There's been times that I've been caught off guard, but my son has seen something, you know, th- these things happen. But as long as everyone's on the same sheet of music and everybody's working towards the same end goal, which is to keep that tribe safe you know, then we're all doing our jobs and it right. doesn't matter if you have kids or if you're a nurse or if you have something, to, we all have something to bring to the table. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, it's important for us to communicate that with each other and, and be appreciative of what other people bring into it as well. Yeah. I, I try to, I always tell my kids that we don't have to be a solution. We just have to be arrows pointing in a direction sometimes. And so, and that's what, when you can be a resource for other people and like this book and even suggesting this book to somebody that you feel like it would be valuable to, you're getting to be an arrow in that capacity and that being part of that tribe and that community, you know, and it's so important. So thank you for providing this resource. It's invaluable. It truly, truly is. And I love that you're just continuing forward with it. And as somebody who travels very often, I look forward yeah. to your travel book because I, I always feel like I'm in another state, like with my hands, you know, still at home. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And you know, there's really no way around that. It's, it's always you're always going to kind of feel that way. But there are things that you can do to kind of put that at ease. Yeah. But sure. at least at least help you to be more focused on what's happening around you in the moment, as opposed to worrying about what's going on at the house. You're never going to get away from that, like I said, but there are ways to minimize it so that you can keep yourself safe when you're when you're in unfamiliar territory. Right. I love that. Um, okay. Tell everybody where they can find you. Okay. So uh, my website is kind of like the hub for everything. So that's just GaryQuestenberry.com. There's links to all the books. The third book in the series, Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Teens, is up for pre-order now. Uh, and they will be available for purchase on April the 1st. And along with that, I'd also like to announce that we're coming out with uh, a DVD series. So there's going to be a DVD series that goes along with each book. And there's also going to be audio books. There's the ebooks. There's going to be hardcovers now. 
because a lot of uh, libraries are asking for them and paperbacks just don't last that long in libraries, I guess. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of really positive stuff happening. I figure the more the more ways that we could get this information into people's heads, the better off we all are. So I'm just amazed that people Gary are just Gary Gary And then also, you know, I'm more active on Instagram than anything else. But okay. you can find me there, too. And your books are on the Amazon. Yeah, everywhere books are sold. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them at, uh, you know, YMAA's website. On my website, there are links that will take you to the book so that you can purchase them. So they're they're out there. Um, is the audiobook going to be on Audible? I, I'm not 100% sure yet. Like they had me record the books. They wanted me to read them. And that was uh, that was an experience, you know, for somebody that's a little technologically disadvantaged. Right. So, but, uh, but I had a good time and we've got some fantastic editors that are going to take out some of my little, I don't know, you know, um, <laughs> little things. yeah, little ums and ahs and stuff like that. But, uh, but I, they're going to release, I believe exactly the same time, April 1st, when the other book, when book three comes out. Okay. So, you know, as, as soon as I know, it'll be up on my website, it'll be up on Instagram and we're working with uh, some people to try to develop a way where we can actually, instead of just the physical DVDs, you know, have it a streaming service and stuff like that. But, yeah, that's what I said earlier. I'm really surprised people still buy DVDs these days. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Part. <laughs> okay. But yeah, yeah. The physical media, right. That's for people my age. <laughs> DVD, what's but, a DVD? Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, if I could get some cassettes made, I'd really be that. That's in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I used to go vinyl. Yeah, there we go with the cracks and the pops. Yeah, that's cool now, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a really great um, audio. You know, where you can get that like true that that vinyl experience. I think it would just really add to the right. I'll bring that up to the publishers and see what they say. <laughs> it's funny how all that stuff comes around. Like my uh, my youngest daughter just got married, and. Uh, my, my, my now son-in-law is really big into Polaroids. You know, he's got this old Polaroid camera that he carries around with him everywhere, taking pictures of everybody, you know, and he's standing around waving them, getting them to develop. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of great. You know, instead of just flipping through somebody's cell phone to be able to hold that picture and look at it and kind of live in that moment for a second without the, the digital aspect to bring us back a lot of fun. The fact that we're, like, we're still tactile beings, you know, Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the cell phone doesn't always cut it, even though this is kind of where a lot of everybody's life is nowadays, you know, but it's uh, I want to get it out there in as many ways as I possibly can. And I've got some hurdles to overcome with my, you know, my my the fight that I have with technology. We go head to head pretty much on a daily basis, but we'll, we'll get through it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I think, I think the more places you can get it, the better, because it's a resource that, you know, everybody needs to have it. Like I said before, it's invaluable. Um, but thank you so much for talking. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad I finally got to talk to you and, uh, really looking forward to that third book coming out and your forward being out there for everybody because the publishers were really impressed with it. And I'm excited that you got to do that for us. I'm really humbled and grateful that you included me. I was sincerely moved when I got that email from you asking me to do uh, that. Um, it, just because I think this is, you know, in the grand scheme of everything we do here at Fieldcraft, I make jokes that my little, my little niche is the least sexiest, but it's something that I will, I will never get tired of doing. My passion will never die for it because it's families and it's children and it's, I feel like the most practical part of our lives and the most necessary part of raising these little capable leaders um, right. move us into a future that we look forward 
Absolutely. They're a big part of the tribe. And without the tribe, you know, those other aspects of it, you know, what do you have to protect Mm -hmm. if you don't have your tribe? So, you know, I'm a huge fan of everything Fieldcraft is doing and uh, follow, follow everything that you guys do very closely. And I'm just uh, honored, you know, to be, to be doing this. It's uh, it's been fantastic. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. I, hopefully we can expand and do some fun stuff in the future for families and parents. That would be really fun. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'll be around. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Gary. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye.